You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. This is Monique Whitney. Welcome to our our podcast, the podcast. I'm really happy tonight to have our president, Scott Newman, here co-hosting with me. Hi, Scott. Hey, everybody. And then we have our distinguished panel with us this evening. I'm thrilled to have Nathan Mayer, our board member from Michigan, with us. Hi, Monique. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Nathan. And then we have Cindy Reed from Illinois. She is a friend of PUTS and a real powerhouse. Uh, Cindy, we are so glad to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Glad you're here. And then we have a great friend of PUTS as well, Carl Schusler. Carl is uh, someone that just about everybody at PUTS has either met or heard of or knows. Uh, Carl is the brains behind several incredibly important programs that are up and coming, one of which we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, Carl, before we jump into even what we're talking about, I'll give you a chance to say hello. Uh, Thanks, Monique. It's it's an honor to be with you all tonight. We're going to jump into what we're here to talk about, which is a whole program that around PUT we call the Relocalizing Care Program. So, um, So Scott and I talk about this quite a bit with the, with our board member in Florida, Dawn, Dawn Butterfield, who first brought the idea around to us by working with you, Carl. And it just so happens that around the same time that you guys were working on your program, we met Cindy and learned about something she was doing in Illinois. And then when Nathan came and joined the board, he was talking about some things he was doing and an algorithm that he was creating. And to us, it seems like this idea of bringing healthcare and healthcare care dollars back into the local economy was starting to grow. It was an idea that was just too good not to look at. Um, Scott, I know, so you and I have talked about that a little bit. I know you you have thoughts yourself about the importance of this. Well, yeah, I mean, I've been following this longer than than, than I've been a member of PUT, and um, I love the concept. And, and you know, I, I haven't, you know, made the many connections here with, with Meyer, but, but with a couple of the independents in our area, we tried to, um, many years ago, it's, it's been about five or six years ago now, the, uh, the, the city's um, uh, prescription benefit was coming up for bid, and we ended up putting an RFP together, the, the three independents in Chesapeake, to do a local care model that would have saved the city, I think it was close to, to $19 million. Well, they had a, a, a Willis group. Uh, representative who was in charge of the RFP. So we didn't make it past the first round and ultimately Express Scripts got the the contract. And to me, that is the epitome of the influence that that specific type of benefit broker has. So 
you know, to get away from that particular model and, and away from the PVM model is imperative for us to do. And Monique, you can you confer this, but we've been talking about where does independent pharmacy go you know, past, you know, we, we determined quite a while that we weren't going to stop fighting for independent in legislatures and the court systems, but ultimately the only way this is going to change is to relocalize care and cut them completely out of the middle. Just do away. They go away when the business isn't theirs anymore. And I think that that's pretty much the only way that we're going to survive an independent pharmacy. Yeah, agreed. It's, it's really... In so many ways, it's almost like the perfect free market solution because, you know, for everybody who's on our panel and for everyone who's listening, one of the, the arguments we constantly come up against when trying to explain the threats that exist to the system right now, particularly with pharmacy benefit managers, what we hear back a lot of are free market arguments, things about contracts and, you know, about, well, uh, mm -hmm. just build a better mousetrap. It, it's, it's, a, it's an understandable argument in a country like ours, but because of the way that the system's been structured, it's really not the always the most effective, uh, you know, way to respond to the situation. But, but yeah, I do remember you bringing up Health Rosetta, and Carl, are you are still with Health Rosetta? Yes, ma'am. I was one of the uh, founding uh, members of the Health Rosetta, and uh, original, I think thirty. Uh, we were in that first book, and. Um, and then we've had uh, several several case studies mentioned in a couple of the books. And I'll just show you the most recent one. This is an old. This is one that came out last uh, just for advisors called Rehumanizing Health Plans. And one of our clients is featured in the book. And we're in the new book, the Relocalizing Care book that Dave Chase just got out. And that same case studies in there. So yes, we've been involved with it for a long time. And I brought a lot of people. I probably brought at least ten advisors to the Rosetta. And had a hand in, in their getting an involvement. So what, it, it's actually a perfect opportunity for you to explain the relocalizing care movement. Since you are a pioneer of it, maybe you could explain to the audience a little bit about what it is and what it means and how Can it I, works. So I was, I was going to say, you know, for me that's been following it for as long as I have, I mean, I, I've got, I've, you know, at least two of David's books I've gotten for free because I, I, you know, pay attention to things and when they release, he releases it and, you know, you can get it for free or, you know, so many times uh, for so for, for so long. And I've read both of the two that I actually have downloaded on Amazon and they're, and they're absolutely wonderful. But I think a lot of our audience probably um, is back to square one. They, they want to see the big picture with the concept and where it originated. So um, just like Monique said, if you could kind of introduce someone to helpers that, uh, in that model who's never heard of it before. Sure. What I would say is the helpers that really came out to provide a blueprint to more intelligently purchase benefits. It was a group of advisors that were trying to do things different. And I, I really hate the term status quo, but a lot of the health plans in America are, are built, as we call insurer-built healthcare, to do nothing but profit all the middlemen. And that would be insurance companies, PBMs, program bilking millions, some hospitals. Careful what I say on positions, because my father's one. Um, but there was a lot of people that had, they were eating out of the, eating, had their fingers in the pie, if you will. And so. And benefit we, advisors, correct? 
Oh, yeah, thank you. I left them off, and I, I normally call them. I'm known as the car, pink pants cartel-wearing guy. So <laughs> I normally refer to them as the cartel. So, yes, I was a part of the problem until, you know, really six, seven years ago. Um, and uh, that's basically, in a nutshell, It's a, it, we all share a lot of information, and we're trying to do things different. Uh, that's what spurred me to build our fair cost health plan we can talk about later. But that's really it in a nutshell. And um, I think that if you, and again, not the Rosetta's great, Dave Chase and Sean Chance and Melissa Taylor done a wonderful job, but you know, not everybody is at the same spot as others are. And that's something Monique knows about with advisors and what we're gonna try to do with this program we'll talk about in a little bit. But it, it's one of the few groups I think that is really trying to do something about this and pointing these things out, you know, and, um, the real key, somebody goes, guy, Carl, how did you, how did you save that hospital 1.2 million or 54% with 160 people? And it's real simple. We eliminated the middles. Nothing more than that. It's not complicated. It's pretty easy. Now it's complicated to build it correctly, but um, it's all about improving financial outcomes and clinical outcomes. And that's what we've really done uh, with that. Did that answer your question, Scott, or did I not do a good job? Yeah, that's pretty good. Wow. I want to transition over to Cindy for just a second, because I think something Carl said just a moment ago reminds me of, of something you were sharing once on a, in a meeting that we, you and I were in, you started working with, I think there was a, a company there in your, in your city that uh, consulted you or had asked you some questions about their drug spend. And you ended up sort of falling into a role of being a consultant for them, or maybe it was the city. Maybe, can you share a little bit about that? And yeah, basically what happened is that I live in a town of 4,000 people, um, rural Illinois, average household income is like $40,000, $50,000. Um, so every penny, every penny counts. Um, in those households. And there's a lot of companies who are actually self-insured. And I came across um, the county um, who employs about 50 people, not super big, but countywide, there's 50 people on payroll and they were, they were self-insured. And they, their insurance agent contacted me and said, we are spending so much money on prescriptions. And I said, well, can you send me the top 25, the top 25 most expensive drugs? And they sent it to me. And in one year with 25 drugs, I found in excess of about $60,000 that was being lost to the PBM. And I didn't even have dispensing data from the chains. I had dispensing data from myself and from another independent in town. And so we were able to guess like there's about $60,000 in excess. So I took this back to the, the county and I said, on these 25 drugs, 25 individual drugs that are, some of them are maintenance medications, some of them are one time, you know, just in what I can tell you spent $60,000 extra. At that point, the insurance agent, he was like, what, how do we get around this? And the, the county board member was like, how do we do this and what can we do? And, and so at that point, I was hired as a consultant um, to help them navigate through moving away from the traditional PBM to a transparent PBM 
basically to made the case like here's the thing you have three pharmacies in town one chain two independents who's supporting you who's voting for you you know who has influence in this town you know who's committed to living here existing here like you know putting ourselves into it so they said well let's give let's give preference to the independents um and we sat down and we created a model where if you come to an end one of the independents in town it's five dollars for a 90-day supply you go to the chain it's ten dollars for a 30-day supply so you have every incentive to use the independent i modeled out a sample patient the sample patient was going to save ninety dollars a month the county was going to save fifty dollars a month on their prescriptions I mean, it was a win for everybody all around. And so they, they let me write the contract. They told the PBM, we want to work with you, but she's setting the reimbursement. So the contract is written like, here's the cost of the drug. Here's our dispensing fee. Here's the portion that the patient's going to pay. And the PBM pays the remainder that the patient doesn't pay. I have, I have followed Carl and Health Rosetta and I've also followed the ETCHIC group out of St. Louis. Um, but the problem that I was finding was that when you present these very alternative ideas to people, then they leave the pharmacy or they leave the pharmacist and they say, wow, this is a really great thing. And then they go to their broker or their agent and the agent says, oh, I don't know anything about that. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we can't do this. And on the flip side of that, you're also in a community where you want your insurance agents to survive. So you don't really want to like cut off the agents at the knees um, and you don't want to make a negative relationship with them because they're going to sell Medicare plans and homeowners and professional liability. And so it was like, I can, I can introduce the idea of relocalized medicine, but I can't, I can only take it so far, but my portion that I could contribute positively was, let me show you how we can just change the pharmacy world because I'm an expert on that. Um, yeah, Carl, what's up? Sandy, I want, well, you're my hero, first off, but, but, se but secondly, um, the difference that you're right about, I agree with you on uh, everything you're saying about being a smaller community, et cetera. But the one thing I, I think that's important in the audience and anyone listening needs to hear, and I've known, anybody knows I'm very passionate and been pretty calm so far, but I'm starting to get fired up now. So there's a difference between an agent, a broker, and an advisor. And right. the problem you have is you're not dealing with an advisor, you're dealing with an agent. And people that push insurance and bring two people to bring a product and a company together to get a commission, that's a broker. You need an advisor that does employer-built healthcare and that's the difference. And maybe that's hard to find there. We mentor people. We got people I'm mentoring all around the country. But that's what, what you have to do. And you guys control the keys to the castle in your communities. You guys are respected, just like the physicians are. We've done this with direct primary care. That's how we got involved with the hospital, because Dr. Lee Gross brought us to the table because he heard about our fair cost health plan. We ended up getting the hospitals a client because of him and his work and getting us introduced. So you find a good partner that you can go with that can do that without being disruptive to the 
local economy and the, and the insurance agent. But that's right. the biggest problem. You have to have an advisor, and that's we, we'll get into this later whenever Monique wants to go there. But that's that's why what I've watched over and over is these DPC docs, and I've taught DPC docs this. They go out and they knock on the door. This is Newman Enterprises. Oh, we love what you're doing. Man, we love this stuff, Carl. This is great. Let me go talk to my broker. Um, what do you, we, we had this person in our office and they were talking about, you know, pharmacies and local farm. Man, you don't want to do that. Okay. And they're off to running their business and you're out the door. So you have to do the right partnership when you approach these employers. And that's what right. we And actually, actually, after I did the county, um, it, it kind of backfired a little bit. Um, so I got paid a consultant fee as an independent consultant um, to help them write the plan. Uh, but because it was a county, this was a county situation, then somebody decided to make it political and um, it became a Republican versus Democrat and what, you know, whatever. And it backfired and most everybody ended up going to the other Indian town, um, which is fine. The point was, was that I saved people money. Um, and so I did my part for the community. But then that opened the door for another employer in town um, they employ about 900 people. It's a factory. Um, they're fully self-insured. And at that point, their claims were just skyrocketing. And I was hearing from the people who were working there, like, they're pushing us to this high deductible plan. They're pushing us here. You know, they're going to fund us an HSA, but we have to go to the high deductible. And, and it just wasn't working. Like, it's not working for these blue-collar individuals. And so I reached out to human resources. I didn't get a whole lot. You know, she's like, I'll talk to my broker. And then I didn't hear anything back. And so I went to one of the founders of the company and I said, Hey, and he's like, Oh, let me get you in touch with the CEO, the current CEO. And I said, okay, I didn't hear anything. And so I went to one of the stockholders, um, who is my age. And I said, her dad was one of the founders. And so I went to him and I was like, or I went to, to her and I said, here's the deal. I know you guys are, you guys are getting hosed. Like you are losing so much money. Like I'm DAW 90 all over the place on your plan. I said, and I can't get anywhere. And so she said, you need to talk to this guy. And so I talked to him and he took it to the board and the board said, no, we want to explore this. I went to the stockholder and then she referred me to um, one of her coworkers who is also a stockholder and um, he took it to the board and the board said, yes, we want to, we want to pursue this and we want to look into it. And so then that's when they came out and said, you know, we want to hire you and we want to dig into this. And so they again hired me as a consultant, independent consultant, and I reviewed their claims. Um, and on their plan, it was like six figures worth of stuff. And it was interesting because the HR person had, um, she was hearing from the broker, you know, oh, you get it back in rebates, you get it back. Like, you know, the broker was doing the broker thing and that's her job and that's how she understands it. But there was one claim in their top 25 for a medication that was $100 for a 100-count bottle. So it's a dollar a pill. And on that claim, 
that company got charged $2,300. And at that point, the HR woman, I swear, almost fell out of her chair and she was like, we're done. And they ended up going to a transparent PBM and the broker wouldn't let her do an exclusivity with an independent. She wouldn't, she wouldn't write any of that in there. Um, but we did manage to move 900 people away from one of the big three with just analytics. That's fantastic. That's such an inspiring story, Cindy. Thank you. And not having to, not having to get sideways with the broker and not that the, not that the model is, you know, it's not perfect. Like I know absolutely that we are not perfect, but if I take any power away from the PBMs in this area, you know, like if I can just do that, it's like one tiny thing. It's a thousand people out of millions, but a thousand people is a thousand people. So that's all I can do. That's great. That is so great. Uh, Nathan, I think you had a comment, but I also wanted to ask you what did just one of the early conversations that Nathan and I and Scott were having was about this very thing about how to bring attention at the local level to what, uh, you know, pharmacists could be doing to help their community, uh, their employers, uh, but also just you had talked about building an algorithm or maybe you had built one out. I was wondering if you would share a little bit about your story in addition to whatever comment you had about Cindy's story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I want to chime in on chime into Cindy. Uh, yeah, what you said was just exactly what goes on in this. And, and I'm sure Carl has seen it all the time. It's an, it's an ecosystem problem. But what's going on? You have you have these you have the the agents that are saying pick this plan, and they're getting kickbacks from picking that plan. And I've this reminds me of when I was living in China, and I lived in China for five years. My my wife's cousin, and they have a lot of these uh, education consultants that help them to get into colleges, and they they choose colleges for these kids. They recommend them based on where they're getting a higher commission. So they have all these kids, they go to this college, uh, it's a great, you know, it's a college I haven't even heard of. And, they, and they're, they're really primed about it because they're getting this big fat commission. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with that. I mean, that it's an ecosystem problem. You, you're, they're saying pick this plan because you're getting, a lot of times you're getting a huge commission off it. Misaligned incentives, Nathan. That's all I want, I'll yeah. let, I'm gonna interrupt you. This is totally misaligned incentives, the whole system. It, it, it's it's bad. I, I think as a pharmacist, independent pharmacy owner, we or as pharmacy owners, we need to understand that. And, and as for employers, even self-funded, self-insured employers, they need to understand that too. And I know I know there's even talk about laws to where hey, you have to talk about what kind of commissions you're going to get. But that's a whole. Lot. I'm not going to get this. I'll get off the soapbox. But uh, I'll I'll go back and uh, you know introduce myself, how I got involved in this, and and I, I was. You know, obviously, independent pharmacy owner, pharmacist, 12 years, pharmacy owner, about 10 years or two years. And, you know, like all of us, we're seeing these claims are just just crap and, and doesn't make sense. And started doing research, started, started seeing what was going on in the state of Michigan. And state of Michigan did, some, you know, with uh, three access advisors, not just state of Michigan, but all over Florida, Ohio, they looked at claims and saw that it was like, you know, $40 million difference in spread between generics and what the PBM was charging versus what the acquisition cost. I'm like, what the heck's going on? So 
I personally contacted a few employers just to see what was their drug spend. And these same trends are happening. And, and just like Cindy saw, we, uh, we contacted a group, there are a thousand, thousand employer, self-funded employer group. And, and, and in the process, we ended up building an algorithm to, to look at data claims that come through, um, through the PBMs. And we found, we found a $600,000 spread just on generics. And, and Cindy talked about one drug that was a $2,500 difference. There was one, Gleevec, for imetinib, the, the generic, there's a $100,000 difference on just one drug. It's just, it's incredible. And this is happening all over the place, all over the board. And, and employers have no idea that this is happening. I'm sure, I'm sure there's some guys that do know what's going on, but a lot of guys just, they take it. And, and you know, they see the bill and they trust their broker. Hey, I know, I've known Jim for 20 years, or I trust the agent that I'm working with. In and, the case and of Adderlake, the, the broker and the HR manager both thought that it was okay because it was for a cancer patient. She had cancer, yes. it's a cancer drug. So it has to be expensive. Like it just has to. And so when I told him, I was like, the wholesale price on that is a dollar a pill. And I was like, I highly doubt that she got $2,300 or that she got 2,300 pills, <laughs> like regardless of her diagnosis. It, but, it's, it's incredible. You hear it a decent amount. And um, I think my answer to that is this, and I've always said this, I just sent a big old check to the government on January 15th. I ain't going to tell you how much here, but uh, it was a lot of money. And I may have overpaid. And I usually file an extension. So I usually file my taxes on October 15th because the 1099s, K-1 stuff comes in way late, and I just never have done it for years. So is that a wise thing to do, put more money in and give the federal government an opportunity or an interest on my money? Or would I be wiser to look at it closer, get the right amount, and give them just what they need? So the analogy I'm trying to uh, – point I'm trying to make here is I would always rather pay less for the drugs up front with a good, strong contract and a pharmacy consultant at my side that Monique knows who we use because I introduced them down there to help on a Louisiana project and have them do that right and then look, focus on the rebates and look at what happens later. And what we do is we'll, we'll have two or three pharmacy consultants look at data and they're normally within one percentage of each other on what they think the rebates should be. But I'd rather get to pay, pay less up front, but we do need to look at the rebates too when we're, when we're being ripped there. But the fact of the matter is a lot of it happens on the front end, not on the back end. So yeah, they all about the rebates. We're getting this and that, and, um, and it's really irrelevant uh, to some degree to get a good airtight contract. You know, as a patient, uh, I can tell you that my frustration and the frustration of, I would say virtually every patient is not having any idea that this is going on. You know, I think Cindy made this really good point, which is, well, it's a cancer drug. Of course it's gonna cost so much money. And there's no way to know that just because it's a cancer drug doesn't mean it can't be a dollar a pill. Scott and I had a, we did a podcast last time with a Canadian manufacturer that decided to bypass PBMs altogether and buy a pharmacy. And that is how they're selling their statin. But before that, theirs was a dollar pill. They can sell it for a dollar pill. 
30 days for $30 and they can be profitable and they're fine with that. They are absolutely fine with that. But going through the PBMs, that was a $700 drug with the rebates. And then patients still didn't have access to the medication. The patients had to fail first anywhere from three to five times before they could have access. And this particular statin is one that, you know, it's metabolically friendly. It has fewer side effects. It's a good medicine, but it wasn't specialty drug you know, medication and, and the way that we've all begun to be indoctrinated into the system, it's like we think, okay, specialty medication must be truly, truly special. And it's not, it's just truly, truly more expensive. It doesn't require special handling. It doesn't require special certifications. It just doesn't require that. So Nathan, you think you had a comment? Yeah. The employer's got to be educated. They got to, they got to understand what's going on. And I think, I think we're in a position to do that. And I think that's why we're such a threat to a lot of these PBMs. That's why you see these billboards across the country, because we know the information. We know we know behind the scenes what, what these real costs are. I mean, when, you, when you're buying a drug for two fifty and they're charging hundred thousand or they're charging thirty thousand dollars, it doesn't make any sense. And and on top of that, they also need to be educated on these rebates too, because God knows how much how much they're actually sharing on these rebates. And are they are they sending it to an offshore? They say they give ninety percent of the rebate. Are are they are they sending some of it offshore to one of these offshore accounts that they have? So we we don't know. And and I, I think it, it needs good data analysis to show it and and to be able to say, hey, you're getting overcharged, and there's no reason for it, and there's better solutions. It's a great point, Nathan. What they do, and I'm talking about the brokerage community. I'm talking about the PBMs all of them is it's a shell game and they're trying to get you not to pay attention to what's going over here and getting you to focus on these rebates and not what's happening up front. And it's a total shell game. And that's what I probably should have said better. And to Nathan's point, um, that's how these guys, that's how they're making these decisions. And again, it has happens up front. Why not? I think rebate is a return for an overcharging price is what it is. And that's how you have to get these people to think. But, you know, when you get into these, well, I'm, I'm carving out specialty and then finding alternative ways to do that with patient assistance programs and all of that, those people charge an arm and leg for that service. And then what's your net cost after rebates, et cetera. I don't know if y'all are familiar with these things I'm talking about, but there's a whole game there. And some of these people, I know somebody that made $300,000 on one drug by put it, by working on the patient's assistance program, they got 30% of savings with no cap, 300 grand. The employer saved a lot of money, but the middle person made an awful lot. Yeah, Carl, maybe you could explain a little bit more in depth about that because there's, we've spent a lot of time at PUT talking about pharmacy benefit managers. We haven't had, you know, much of an opportunity to explore until recently what happens on the manufacturer side or what happens on the broker or advisor side. But there's a lot of, you know, shady activity going on in some of those sectors. And I know that you've spent time educating us, but maybe for the sake of the people who are listening, or you could help educate us a little bit more about that. All right. I'll, I'll try to keep me on, keep me on, tra on task here with me. Um, I, I don't know everything there is to know uh, about y'all's world and never would profess to. I try to align myself with experts in various areas. That's how we built fair cost. There's 16 plus solutions. One of them is a pharmacy consultant. 
the pharmacy consultants, one of the best decisions we made, and we bring them into our situation and look at it. When you're trying to look at what a broker makes as compensation on a case, you know, you can look that up. They, employers file their tax return for health and welfare called a 5,500. And on that data is how much the broker's making. One of the things that never makes the 5,500 is a per script fee. And we walked into deals where the broker was making $2 a script. Um, you can't find that on any, anywhere. And it gets worse. It gets worse if you if you deal with a municipality or a school district who opts out of ERISA, they're allowed to. So there is no information on what the broker makes. And I could tell you a story about a school district we have and the amount of money they thought the broker was making. And they were well by millions. And I, mean, I can go on and on, and I got to be careful what I say here. But a lot of people know about that case. And um, there is no question um, when you get into our world, and I think, but if you really want to get back to the relocalized care discussion, this is where it starts. It starts with y'all. Healthcare is local, not regional, not national, it's local. It's right there in Illinois, not Missouri, but Illinois. It's right there. And that's where it happens. That was supposed to be funny, Cindy. You didn't even crack a smile. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Anyhow. Uh, okay. I got you. Well, that's where it starts with you guys. And it's the local care team. It's the direct primary care doctor, the DPC, the primary care doctor, the specialist. It's you guys over here, the pharmacist. And the patient's right here. And I call it that love triangle. It's a little perverse, but it's the love triangle. And we got to get rid of all the people that are messing with that triangle. And that's what we do in our plans so you guys can take care of the members. You can communicate with the doctors. We have a whole way of doing that where it gets back to Marcus Welby MD days, as I often say. All y'all are too young to know who Marcus Welby MD is. Hey, so, so Carl, um, just as a question, if, if I were to have another opportunity, like what I have already done, how, because around here, like the hospitals, all the physicians are employed by hospital systems. They work in clinics that are associated back with hospitals that are 30 minutes away. So how do you make that, how do you make that connection? I mean, cause I'm certain that there's other pharmacies who, there's other pharmacy owners that are trying to do this and we're not getting anywhere because you can't approach the individual provider because they're an employee. So what, what step am I missing? Sandy, you gotta be, you gotta be smart. That's your first problem. I can't help you with that. But um, anyway, I'm kidding. Golly, you just nobody, call me dumb. No, nobody is laughing. At <laughs> Jeez. Woo. Rough crowd. <laughs> Cindy, you got to look at each situation and I can't guarantee you success, but I can tell you we've gone into Orlando and got an agreement from one of the largest health systems in the state of Florida to work, to work with our school. Because we went out and had the meetings, we went out to the chief, met with the chief revenue officer for three hours and talked to him about our plan, talked about how we design a plan so if the, if the employee or the member comes to their hospital, they're not going to have to chase them for deductibles and coinsurance. Because the hospitals only collect 7% of that money. So right. we're going to make the hospital's life easy, and then they get paid by the employer, right? 
So you have to be able to go out and explain these things, and then you have to work on what we call weaponizing the plan design and incentivizing the plan design to get steerage to places. We, I can, we can help you if we're given the opportunity. You have to have these conversations, but you also have to have a track record of success. And we, I think we've got a lot of social proof. Because when you're, when you're trying to intercept it, like, you know, I, I can do my part, but like if I could take my part to another level, I absolutely would, but I really don't know who to target. I can talk to the doctor and he can be like, oh, that sounds great, but you need to go talk to my boss, the medical director at the hospital. And then uh -huh. the medical director, I'm probably never going to get through to. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just... Well, let, let's dial it back for a minute here because Scott's asking. I think we're just, we're just uneducated about right. where to go to, to get forward progress on this and to bring programs like yours into our communities because it, they okay. can benefit, but we're kind of like, I'm not an insurance broker. So I'm not uh, either. I'm not either, Sandy. I no, I'm not, that's the wrong word. Sorry. I didn't mean to use broker, but you know what I mean? Like insurance isn't my... Sure. Expertise. All right. Here it is. It's real simple. Okay. So I'm getting all these questions. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I remember I had COVID a few months ago. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling here. All right. To answer the question. Okay. There's two questions here. First, you, you know, kind of went hospital wise. Then you went employer. How do we make a difference? So here it is. It's real simple. Write it down. It's real simple. You have to get to the person who controls the purse of the employer. And in my opinion, that's the CFO. Now, I'm careful here because I work with a lot of HR. I love HR, but our experiences, and I'm just going to put it on the table and be blunt and honest with you. HR generally can't say yes, but they can say no. So you got to be careful how you walk. What we think is it's much better to start with the CFO and walk down the stairs instead of walking up from the HR. The HR, the, 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 what you have going on HR and you have it going on every municipality, every county, every city. So I'm so impressed at what you did, Cindy. You should be applauded and we should stop and, and start clapping for you. I mean, it's unbelievable what you did there. Um, you, they're self-preservationists. Think about it. Carl Schusler comes in here, man. He's gung-ho. You know, he comes in and all this and got his pink coat on and he's ready to roll. And man, who is this guy, you know? And they are threatened by us because we're going to make them look bad. And we have to make them the champion. I don't, we don't care about any glory. We just want to help the employer and help the employees. I don't care about the glory. I care about making change and improving clinical outcomes and financial outcomes. So we have to start up here and work down. You were very smart on what you did with that employer. HR is not an agent for change normally. They're not going to be an agent for change. And if it goes south on their watch, they're held responsible. But if the CFO says, hey, talk to Carl, to Scott's point earlier, then you have a much better chance of success. And then you, it gets even trickier because, guys, I, we've saved, I mean, we saved that school district $6 million in one year alongside a cartel insurance carrier. We should save between 10 and $20 million this year. I mean, it's unbelievable. But that number doesn't get people's attention sometimes. You've got to understand. That's where I think you guys have to partner with someone like us. And this isn't self-serving. I'm just telling you, I know what happens in these meetings. I've watched it. I've watched these DPC docs. I've taught a class 
uh, in Orlando at the DPC Nuts and Bolts at 19. I talked about this. You go out on your own and you see the person and they're all excited about it. And then they call their broker and it's work. You know, that's work. I ain't interested in that. I'm going to talk to them twice a year and deliver all the bad news and the high increases and I get a raise every year. Why would I want to change that? You have to partner. And that's what we're trying to do. That is what it has to be. It has to be a marriage with you guys and we go together. And the worst case that comes out is you guys get put in somehow, some way. We don't get hired, but you get taken care of. And you have to teach it. You did well. I'm impressed with what you did with the, the $5 differential. But our deal is our preferred pharmacies, they we have a $15 copay differential for preferred pharmacies. And the cartel pharmacies are $15 more. The members will vote with their wallet. I will tell you over and over again. And we can go down the story of community pharmacies. Dawn knows they were at our function last year. We have 70, 80% of our scripts being filled by community pharmacists down in Southwest Gulf Coast, Florida, who delivers twice daily to the hotel on, on an island um, and has been a true partner. That's what I think has to happen. And we were trying to identify our partners around the country that could partner with the pharmacist to help the pharmacists go on meetings together and teach y'all more of our world and how we could work together. And I think if you go together, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. Old African proverb. And I think that's what has to happen. And we've been successful with that model. But I've watched more pharmacists and more direct primary care doctors try to call on employers by themselves. And they knew the owner or whatever. And the owner called the broker. Y'all got to remember, when you leave that meeting, that business owner is busy as they can be. You're, you're, you're a distant thought. You're gone. So it has to be done strategically and you really have to think it out that's the key and and i've watched it and and here's the thing y'all but you and nathan are great communicators I, mean, I can see the scott i mean i'm impressed with your ability to communicate but as a group and i've been i've, I've been a speaker at cpsn i've been up there and did their conference and most of those pharmacists they they couldn't i mean they couldn't sell a heater to an eskimo i mean let's be honest and that's not their job. Just like my dad's job as an OBGYN was taking care of patients, not filling out EHR and doing all that stuff. It was taking care of patients. So, hey, hey Carl, hey, can, can I interrupt you real quick? I, uh, I just, absolutely. If you don't, I'll, if you don't, I'll probably pass out. So, thank you. I, I had I had a question. So, a lot of listeners are, are independent pharmacists, uh, independent pharmacy owners. Now, they they go connect with an employer. Do they go at it, hey, employer, work directly with my pharmacy? Do they need to work with a transparent PBM or is it, is it a, a combination of, of the two? What, what, do you, what do you see? What do you recommend? What do you think would be the best approach? That, Nathan, I totally wouldn't do what you just said at all. Okay, that, that's why I asked. I, I'm gonna be blunt like I'm always be, okay? First off, and, and let's this transparent pass-through stuff, it, it, it drives me batty, okay? Because it doesn't mean anything. I've heard these PBMs say that, and then we look at it, and they're not passing through. They're not transparent. You find a good pharmacy consultant. Sounds like you and Cindy can do some cool analytics. I can introduce you to our pharmacy consultant, talk to them. Maybe there's some opportunities there and some business there. But 
I, I don't care so much about the PBM as I care about who's watching the PBM. You can get the best contract in the world up front, and two months later, they might be robbing you blind unless you have somebody watching them. And yeah. that's what no one gets. I, I have people go, I have PBMs want to talk to me all the time, and these people, all my, all our Medigate partners, are, oh, I was on this phone, this great PBM. I said, how do you know it's a great PBM, Scott? Well, they said this and this. I said, how do you know? You can't track rebates. We never know if we ever get all the rebates. We'll never know if we get them all. There's no way to find out. So back to your point, Nathan, I think you need to get find a good benefit advisor and partner with them and go together in the community. And for us going into communities we're not in, you guys are significantly respected people in the community. You always have been. Physicians, CPAs, pharmacists, y'all are respected members of the community, you know people. Is go with a good advisor together and have a meeting with the employer. That's how you can win because you've got to have somebody that knows how to put it all together and, and be able to build these plans with success. So I think it takes both of you. You guys are crucial because when you're there as a caregiver, the way I see it, and taking care of a patient, you can talk about that. Hey, we do MTM. We do medication adherence. And hey, if the, if the member comes to us once a month and sits down for a 15-minute diabetic education, assume y'all are set up for this, all HIPAA compliant, to be able to do those roles that I know CPSM was trying to promote. Um, if you can do those roles, that member shows up and meets with you that's a diabetic for a 15-minute education once a month, then they get their meds for free. You synchronize them in a, in, a, in a bag and give them to them. They're out the door. You just now mm -hmm. saved a ton of ER patient admits because of you. And we, we, that results in no inpatient stays. We save so much money and that member is healthy and will be much better off for it and not maybe lose eyesight and have, have the foot problems and everything else and all the comorbidities that come with diabetics. That's 10% of a population. Every group, 10% of a population is diabetic. That's the story you need to tell with us is what you can do. But tell the story about the cost and what's happening out there. But again, it has to be, and I'm terrible at this, as you can see today, it has to be succinct. You've got a little bit of time with these people, and then they're going to call their broker. And their broker is going to say, yeah, you don't want to do that. So it's, it, it, we have enough social proof. I think we can overcome some of that. But I will tell you, we've shown some ridiculous levels of savings and not gotten hired. It happens. It absolutely happens. And um, I think that people don't know what y'all do. And I'll say this. Dawn stood up in front of people like me. And I want to make this point because this is what I'm trying to say. Health Rosetta is an unbelievable organization, but not everybody's at the same place. Dawn asked, how many of y'all know what a community pharmacy does? Pharmacist does. And nobody, these people walked away and I can, you're considering part of the brethren. I had no idea what an independent pharmacy does. And that, that's what these employers need to hear, what y'all do differently. And I can tell you, when I had to go, this was four years ago, I was there with my daughter, and Mary Mae's going, oh, God, here goes Dad. He's going to start talking, asking questions. So I start talking to the pharmacist. I said, hey, do you do any diabetic counseling? This was at CBS. We were in there asking the, the pharmacist about it. No, we, don't, we can't do that. I said, well, why not? I mean, what do you do here? Well, we, we, we don't. We just, you know, give scripts. No guidance whatsoever. None. You guys bring so much value to the healthcare uh, uh, puzzle. 
And, and I know you believe that, but we got to help you fight. Keep the money on Main Street instead of Wall Street. And you guys are it. And you go out in the community together. That's great, Carl. And it's exactly the kind of dilemma that we've seen our independent pharmacy members deal with. We, we've seen other healthcare providers deal with this too, because the problem of a pharmacy benefit manager is the same whether you're talking about a pharmacy benefit manager or you're talking about a third-party administrator. There's some middleman who has found a way to make a profit and, and they'll use language. Language is incredibly powerful. So they won't say kickback, they'll say rebate. They, they will uh, use terms like preferred pharmacy network instead of excluding and steering into our own networks. And these are the things that for the people who listen and follow us, you're already familiar with that. What I'm excited about, and there's much to say about this uh, in a future podcast because we're coming to the time now where it's time for us to, to wrap up. But what I'm excited about is a program that we're, we at PUT are working with, and that's with, uh, with you, Carl, and with Mitigate Partners and, and the Relocalizing Care Project. Again, it's a working title, but the opportunity is exactly what you just said, which is to, to empower community pharmacists and other providers to be able to have the kind of conversations inside their network with their patients or with their patients' employers or with the local municipalities or whoever they might be networked to in order to help those organizations save money, first and foremost, because it's always about that, but then, then being able to take that and reinvest that money, those savings, and reinvest it back into the, the local economy. Because surely, Cindy and Nathan, you both found when you were helping the organizations you were helping that that's ultimately what happened. So this is really great. And, and there's so much here to unpack. We couldn't possibly do it in the space of just one podcast. So I'm just going to say now that we want to have you back, uh, everybody on this panel, to come back and, and talk some more about this. Uh, before we wrap up. I think one of the things that we always do in the podcast is we ask our panelists for, you know, a piece of advice that they would give someone who is listening to this podcast. So anyone who's listening to this podcast is interested at, at some level in how they can either begin this conversation or be able to do minimally something like Nathan or Cindy did. So Nathan, why don't I start with you? What advice would you give someone listening to this podcast to be able to follow in the uh, path that you started? Ed, education. Talk, talk to the employers, talk to the right people, and, and try to get in the right, you know, whether it's HR, or if you can get a hold of the CFO, which isn't always easy to do, especially if it's a large, large company. Try to education, explain to them what's going on and why they may be overcharged and they may not even, may not, may not even know it. And get out there and, and explain it. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to contact me. You can contact me, uh, Nathan at truth, truthrx.org. Send me an email. I can help out. Great. Thank you. Cindy, what about you? What advice would you have for someone who's wanting to do something similar to what you've been able to do? Uh, be sure you're in the right mindset about it's about the patient and it's about your community, not about you. Um, and there's a really good little quote that says winning isn't normal and that people who win have to do unusual and extraordinary things in order to win. And so when you get discouraged, you should remember that, that it's not going to be normal and it's not going to be easy, but you can get there if you just keep going. 
That's great. I love that. Thank you. Carl, what about you? In addition to all the advice you've been giving tonight, if you were going to sum it up in one little nugget, what would it be? First off, I can't say hello in less than five minutes, but uh, let's see what I can do here. I would say this. In order to make you guys take care of, have you guys take care of patients, which is what you wanted to do, be compensated fairly for your work. You've got to work with someone that can get rid of all the middle players and insert you in. You are not going to be successful working with a buka. Y'all know what a buka is? Everybody know? Blue Cross, United Signet, and Humana. Your, your plans, we got a great community pharmacist, Monique, you know, Eric Larson down in Osceola. He's working with us at the school district. He is plugged in big time now. He did a thousand plus flu shots. We've had unbelievable traction with him once we got rid of the cartel. And you've got to get rid of the cartel and then you guys can prosper. You can design these plans with the help of a good benefits advisor to get people to come to your pharmacy, to want to come to your pharmacy because you're taking care of people. You care about people. So my advice is you have to eliminate the middles, but you've got to structure a plan to do that. And if we do that right, then you guys can do what you need to do. And if we do that, we build neighborhood health care and everyone is neighbors taking care of neighbors the way it used to be, not the way it is today. That's so great, Carl. You did a great, great job tonight. There's so much here. We're definitely going to have you back uh, and we're looking forward to the program that we're developing with you and with Dawn, uh, Cindy and Nathan are, are part of that as well. And, and we're excited to be able to even have that because it's so important what you're doing here and the work that you've been doing to help get the focus back where it needs to be, which is locally. So well, you're, you're, you're kind, you're Monique, but uh, no, y'all are the real healthcare heroes. You're the ones on the front line. Um, I'm just jabbering about it. You guys are the ones that are doing it and taking care of people. And you guys are, the, are what makes this work. But you are being obstructed and extracted from everything because you can't do your job. And what I see a lot is everyone out there complaining about it. And, I, you know, the post, and that's great. Do something about it. Be a solution seeker, and it is a way to do it. Cindy Nathan, if y'all will still talk to me after this podcast, I would love to connect with you because I think we can help you. And, and if I can't do it, we got people that can, but I've never been more excited to do what we're doing right now than I am right now. And COVID should have been the gut punch for most of these companies to have to make changes because most of them financially are not doing well. And the cities and the counties and the school districts, they are struggling mightily, but the politics, it is exhausting dealing with government type entities, but it's rewarding because you can improve the education system and all the lives of these people. So it need, you've got to be strategic about it and you've got to be smart and you guys know people in the community. Cindy, I'm a, you and Nathan have blown me away with what you guys have done. It's like unbelievable. Well, Carl, thank you. Thank you so much for your, your time and your advice tonight. Scott, our co-host, uh, thank you for being the one, as you said earlier, you're absolutely right, for being the one to follow this and to help 
uh, bring it to the kind of program it's going to be moving forward with HUD. So I just want to end by saying thank you to everybody who is tuning in and we look forward to your comments. If you like what you heard, please leave comments for us. We appreciate having feedback and we're always looking for ways to improve what we're doing and to bring you topics and information that are relevant to what you're doing now. With that, I will say good night and thank you to our panelists and we'll see you next time on the podcast. 